And welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. My name is Eric Landstrom, and today we're hopping into the hardcore time machine back to July 1999 to review ECW's Heatwave pay-per-view and some major, major news uh, with the company. Um, I'm joined today in these efforts by our our captain, O-Captain, my captain, Chris Lacey. Chris, how are you, sir? Wonderful. It is good to be back on the good ship Extreme. Um, I will take this time to apologize for there not being a June show. Um, sometimes real life fucks you over and shit happens. But whatever we've missed, the big bit of it we'll be covering today. And Bob calling you, me, no Buff Bagwell. This should be a fun show. Yeah, hopefully no arguments about how big Buff Bagwell is uh, as a star today. We'll be focusing on some maybe good wrestling for a change. That'll be great. And before we go into the news uh, right at the outset, uh, just to remind you, patreon.com slash wrestling20yrs. Plug it now. Plug it later. Go uh, go give us a shout on there if you like what you hear. Uh, no further need for delay. Chris, not a lot of headlines this month, but some major ones. So ECW has gone mainstream. So ECW will begin on the Nashville Network. That's a national television network, uh, not a huge USA level, like the USA Network level or TNN or TNT like WCW is on, but still a national network affiliated with most cable providers in North America. Uh, I, I think some of the projections were that ECW is going to be available in some 85 million households. So uh, TNN is hoping that ECW can pull about a million viewers a week. That might be a bit of a tough putt. Um, we'll certainly talk more about this later. This is huge, huge news. This is as big a news that ECW has had since they got on pay-per-view a couple of years ago. Uh, but it is headline and newsworthy as well. So we'll drop it now and tease our long conversation about what this just might look like later in the show. The merry-go-round of ECW continues with more comings and goings. Wow, and I sent the guys a list of the comings and goings, and I went back to the news for the month, and I added about three more names. So people that are in the news this month, uh, affiliated, coming, going, leaving, stopping by, picking up a check, uh, hopefully, it do- hopefully it doesn't bounce. Mike Awesome, uh, Paul E. is working on getting Mike Awesome back on an exclusive ECW deal once he's done rehabbing from his knee injury. It being Mike Awesome, he's also receiving a lot of attention from Japan, so uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, there was a report that Paul wants uh, Mike Awesome uh, as a featured uh, performer in the September ECW show, which I believe is called Anarchy Rules with a Z. Um, Tammy and Chris, oh, Tammy and Chris, they will be welcomed back to ECW as long as they complete drug and alcohol counseling and remain in psychological counseling. Uh, Shane Douglas, however, apparently is not going to be welcomed back uh, to ECW with open arms. So, Shane, the the old bridge burner continues there. Uh, Tommy Dreamer, uh, he is still well affiliated with ECW, but he is having back surgery while on TV and especially at the pay-per-view, which we'll talk about. It's being uh, teased that this could lead to Tommy Dreamer's retirement from wrestling 
more likely he'll be out for a couple of months and should almost certainly be back by the end of the year. Um, Chris Jericho, only to say that Chris Jericho was uh, asked to appear at Heatwave as Jerry Lynn's original partner. Um, as we know from the other volumes and keeping up with the news, Chris Jericho is kind of between the w, uh, WCW where his contract is ending, and it seems like he's going to go to the WWF. Paulie was trying to pick up some scraps there while Chris was kind of between jobs. It looks like Chris just never called him back. Um, two more Vader, Big Leon from Boulder. It uh, looks like Paulie is trying to get Vader uh, to come in. Uh, you know, Vader hasn't had a mainstream uh, contract in a little while, but again, drawing major interest from Japan. And it seems unlikely that given ECW's financial straits, even with this TV deal, that they'd be able to pay Vader even a fraction of what he would demand um, and give him the limited dates that he would probably require at this point. So Vader not looking likely, but the conversation is happening. And finally, old New Jack returned at the pay-per-view this month. Happy to see New Jack back, I guess. How he fits into ECW's long-term plans with their new national television deal, I'm not sure. But New Jack is back. And, and not uh, guilty. And, and not guilty, right. And I was going to ask you guys about this because I'm not up to speed on why New Jack was gone. So do either of you know about that? Um, it finally happened. He, the trial finally was last month. Um, for the Eric Kulis incident. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah, that was that was one of the big things from last month that obviously we missed because of me not doing the show. Um, but the trial finally happened and he got not guilty, um, was still forced to pay uh, some damages costs because of the actual um, the incident and the physical damage caused to him. But he, was, he wasn't guilty on... Um, intent to kill and the, the heavy side of it, it was just uh, it's what we would call in the UK GBH, uh, so he was charged for grievous body, bodily harm um, in order to pay costs for that but it wasn't where we all thought it could have ended up um, with attempted murder um, that got dropped and that was what he was not guilty of yeah, that's that's nuts, so yeah New Jack, uh, the last of a long line of people coming and going with ECW this month Heat wave or hot water? Uh, ECW's uh, Heat Wave 99 pay-per-view took place on the 18th of the month at the Hera Arena in Dayton, Ohio. Sold out crowd, several thousand people there. Uh, we saw wins for uh, we saw wins for Chetty and Nova. Uh, Jazz, a newcomer onto the scene. Jazz in a good match with Jason. Uh, super crazy. Uh, new tag team champions, Taz retains, as well as uh, RVD and Jerry Lynn versus the Impact players in a solid main event. Uh, we'll certainly deep dive this show uh, later on. But uh, the, the interesting thing coming out of this show, which was otherwise a very good ECW pay-per-view, frankly, uh, tons and tons of good wrestling. But as they do, they just can't help across the line. And, and, and we know with this new television deal, they're being scrutinized not just by wrestling fans and not just by television viewers but now by tv executives and parent groups even more so and there were just some incidents at the show with bubba ray dudley and with taz uh, and just violence and language and it just doesn't seem like ecw really is ready to go national in a way that's going to sustain them and they've caught some hot water for that from basically everybody 
uh, including uh, internally, wherein we'll talk about this later, but Bubba Dudley's comments at the pay-per-view have reportedly gotten him in the doghouse with Paul Lee. Um, and that can't be good, having one of your top guys basically violating your orders to chill out a little bit and try to be a locker room leader. And then you come out and say things that are vile and will not be repeated. But if you want to go to about the hour mark of the of the heat wave show, you can see them for yourself. But yeah, good show. But ECW can't can't stop putting up barriers in its own way, it seems like. See, to me, I looked at this one and thought, is this certain people's? i.e. the Dudleys and Gertner, last chance to go all out before they are reined in. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely could be that. I just, when you hear Bubba's comments on on the TVs this month and then the pay-per-view, it's like, God, you just, you know, see the line and it's in your rearview mirror, man. I I just wonder, and we've been talking about this for years now. They've got to, I don't know. We'll get we'll get into it. But, yeah, it just there's this duality happening with ECW right now. Where they have this national television deal, but they can't stop doing the same old shit. Uh, Mr. Calling, anything from the news uh, that struck your fancy? Otherwise, we'll get into the TVs. Uh, really, the only thing is with Vader. It looks like maybe they're trying to rekindle some WCW 93 with like Sid recently coming in and now Vader potentially coming in. I just wonder what Vader would possibly do. Would it be something similar to Sid or? you know, maybe be a, more of a fixture. And then uh, I think you mentioned Mike Awesome too, like with his injury and like maybe coming back into ECW. That could be fun because I think they kind of need, whether it's Vader or Awesome, I think they kind of need that a, a big guy to kind of uh, have like a, a different feel to the show instead of kind of having all these high-flying, middle-sized guys. So uh, just a couple of additions potentially to ECW that, would be intriguing for me. Yeah, they're, they're, ECW has done this over the last few years, haven't they, where the pendulum swings, where they have a bunch of workers and they don't have any workers and they focus on the hardcore brawling style. And Now, you and I did a show a couple of months ago where we talked about ECW has a rich pool of, of wrestlers now and they've really started exploiting that. But yeah, they don't, aside from Sid, Sid's you know brief stopover between major companies, they haven't really had that, that, that big ass kicker. And so Vader... Mike, awesome. There are guys out there that can fill that spot, don't have to be in the main event, don't have to hold a title, but can come out and be an attraction, to use that old that old cliche. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Well, and the thing, too, uh, I can't remember if he, he might have been on television a few times. He probably was. Um, but, you know, when you know watching the house shows or fan cams uh, that I have uh, purchased through the years, um, like One Man Gang would even be on some of those live events. And would kind of excel oddly enough, you know, to even think that one man gang uh, here in 99 would kind of get over as being a dominant heel. I mean, usually you'd, you know, dominate maybe one match and then later on in the show lose to like a, you know, Rob Van Dam or, or, who, or uh, whomever. But it kind of just shows you that, uh, you know, maybe Paul Heyman has an ability to get any big guy, no matter the star power or name value kind of to get him over. So, like I said, Mike Awesome and, and Vader maybe two substantially better workers than a guy like One Man Gang. Who knows where they could potentially go uh, if, if pushed by Heyman and ECW. Exactly. The only thing is, if obviously we've seen it a lot with guys that come in, especially the larger ones, that they get fed to Spike. Um, right. That's I I can't see Leon 
maybe looking at that and going, well, that ain't going to be for me. See, I, I don't even know if, you know, us as ECW fans or even maybe more diehard fans out there, you know, Spike destroying Mabel is believable because Mabel doesn't have that name value, like similar to late last year. But when you have a guy like Vader, who's extremely successful in WCW, moderately successful in WWF, and obviously a huge, huge star legend of Japan, for a guy like Spike Dudley winning a buck 30 to hit an acid drop and pin him in seven seconds, I don't even know if that would maybe connect with the ECW fans. And that might actually do more harm to the product in terms of believability if that were to happen. So yeah, I, I don't I don't know how that would work out. I don't think you bring in a guy like Vader, who's a multiple time world champion, it isn't that far away from having his prime run. I mean, this is a guy we were talking about as the biggest heel in the business only three or four years ago. So Vader still got a little bit of gas in the tank and he could lend some credibility uh, to ECW as they're going to go on television. And he can work different styles, too. I mean, we've seen him brawl. Obviously, we've seen him work bloody matches in Japan and a little bit in, EC, in WCW and we know he can go technically I mean he's not a bad worker so I just Vader's no 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 kidding but Vader's a very very large man and I just don't know if he has an opponent in ECW maybe it is Mike Awesome maybe you bring them both in get Vader on a short-term deal and have him put over Mike Awesome after a, after a back and forth program and then you solidify Awesome as ECW's boss I don't know but it's, it's interesting to think about what ECW might do in order to get this television uh, deal uh, or in order to capitalize on this television deal. Because you got to think there's going to be other guys who think, oh, ECW's got national TV now. I might be more interested uh, than I was before. It'll be fun to see how it plays out between now and really September uh, when ECW has to build both for its TV and for its next pay-per-view. But anyway, uh, we'll go straight through the TVs, and I'll just invite the gentlemen to uh, butt in as they hear anything of value. So we opened on uh, July 3 uh, with a recap of the Rhino and the Steve Carino crew. So we didn't do a show last month, but basically what's happened is there's this new fella named Rhino, big hoss of a man. Now, there's somebody that might match up with Vader, although I don't think he's very tall. Um, but they've got this big hoss of a guy named Rhino, and he's teamed up with Steve Carino. Uh, who's just a, a little blabbermouth little bitch. And I think that that would be me complimenting his character because that's exactly what it's supposed to be. And Jack Victory in a wheelchair, which is hilarious. Think Owen Hart's cast or Bob Orton's cast or something like that, right? I would even, I, I don't mean to cut you off, I would even say, you know, Ron Wright for over in uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. That's the first thing that came to my mind. when uh, Did, cause, You know, Jack Victory doesn't really need the wheelchair, similar to that angle in like 93 or 94. Yeah. Okay. Shout out Ron Wright. Didn't think we'd get there today. Um, <laughs> lots of recaps. So we recap Lance Storm calling his favor, calling in his favor from Jerry Lynn. You remember that Jerry Lynn owed Lance Storm a favor. Lance Storm wants Lynn to lay down for Justin, so Justin can become the number one contender. What a mate. This is interrupted by Tommy Dreamer and Francine. Jerry's not having it, and he beats Justin. So Justin's taking some L's these days. These days. Lance then, and this is ECW in a nutshell, beats up Jerry Lynn and apparently steals the title shot back. So now it's going to be Lance versus RVD for free. So I'm not complaining. Uh, we cut to the Dudleys presented by Joel Gertner. Bubba calls the Chicago crowd pussies and makes fun of the local sports teams. That's about as uh, family friendly as Bubba got this month. Um, it's the Dudleys, Bubba and Devon versus Spike and Balls. 
And so this is for the belts, and it's a Chicago street fight, and his balls says, quote, false count anywhere in the fucking building. Yeah, no thing. Uh, no, not surprised there with balls. Anyway, this is not Bob Backlund and Larry Zabisco. Uh, walking brawl with a cheese grater, amazing selling by Bubba, and some decent action between Joey and Balls. The finish comes when the Dudleys put Balls through a flaming table covered in thumbtacks, and the Dudleys retain. Joey, this match is difficult to watch. I agree. Um, Lance and Don Marie head to the ring to take on RVD for the TV title. The crowd is insane for RVD. That'll keep up the whole month. Uh, he really is the number one guy. Mr. Lacer, boy, has gone mainstream. Yes, um, yes. This is a pretty good TV match, a little bit sloppy. Uh, Got to say, Lance Storm's not been as impressive as I was hoping he would have been in these key marquee matchups with guys. But good match. Go watch it. TV match. R- uh, RVD gets the win with a five-star and in typical ECW fashion, there's a pay-per-view in a few few weeks, and no matches have been announced. So maybe next week. Um, guys, anything from that uh, first TV of the month? Uh, well, I'll just I'll just chime in real quick. Uh, I'm, you know, you're talking about going on national television, and then uh, the Dudleys and uh, Balls and Spike are, are like borderline doing death match. Yes, type of stuff here, and uh, that would be kind of alarming. It makes me wonder, you know, TNN, you know, what do you, what are you really expecting to see? I mean, like if these guys are doing this, these kinds of matches, and we're less than two months away or whatever it is from TV beginning, uh, you know, they're getting upset with various things at the pay per view, and they're doing this. It's kind of got to be at fault at TNN for maybe not doing proper research into uh, what their product would be on television. Um, and then I got yeah. yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, keep note of all the things that you think. Why was why would this ever be on national television as we go through the TVs and the pay-per-views? Because it's a shockingly long list for a company that's going national a month from now. Right, and then you talk about Bubba, I mean, who's not just doing this stuff on pay-per-view with paper, he's doing it on free television, so <laughs> it's not like you you can't use the excuse of, oh, I didn't pay $40 for Heat Wave, it's right on television for nothing, you could just, or have him send a tape to you or whatever. Uh, I would say I'm kind of surprised lately with Justin Incredible taking some L's, as you noted, especially because really since he's came in, he's been pretty well protected. So protected. Uh, yeah, which is just an interesting thing. And uh, maybe it's because, you know, he's with Lance Storm, so maybe, like, the rub off of that won't be so directly on him. But it's it's noted. Uh, but I would say an inter- I feel like most weeks for ECW to start the month for TV, like, the first week is kind of transitional. And it's just like, okay, well, we got three more weeks. But that, this was pretty strong with, sure, a death match type of thing and then uh, a, a relatively big feature match with uh, RVD and, and Storm, as you had mentioned. Yeah. Chris, anything to add? Yeah, I was just going to say, obviously – as I sort of said in earlier when I sort of said about the TV deal and stuff and the heat wave fallout, um, is this running into the new TV deal, the case of get the fucking serious violence out there because when they are a bit tamer, because you've got a thing going on the national TV, they're going to have to tone it down a bit. Is yeah. it to please all those people that watch this shit, find a way of watching it, go to the arena, give them their last 
few weeks of ultra violence before oh shit we've, we've had to tame it down well let's see what happens next week july 10th hardcore tv we open with a swimsuit showdown between don marie and francine um so not this week they're toning it down it seems like well somehow steven prazak and not our own chris lacy gets the assignment to officiate this match but so we'll we'll, we'll refile that paperwork next time pal uh joey again joey was good this month what has this got to do with wrestling i have no idea don marine is being coy and justin attacks tommy in the balcony what a heel She's not even wearing a bikini. Fortunately, Francine is, and her attire is from the Ahmed Johnson line, if you guys know what that means. Lance Spears, uh, Francine, so there's male and female violence in a swimsuit contest. Anyway, so Sabu intervenes. The numbers are a thing. Jerry Lynn runs off, and the heel, uh, the heels and Sabu chases them down. So then we have RVD versus Balls Mahoney for the TV title. It's a long match, but good. And Balls can go. We should say Balls Mahoney is a pretty good wrestler. There's another Haas for you there, Bob Colling. Um, Dudleys uh, intervene as they do, but the Rob takes out the Dudleys, gets a three on Balls, and the crowd appears satisfied with this result, although it was kind of a clusterfuck. As of now, it appears they're setting up Taz versus Steve Carino for Heat Wave. Of course, that's not going to happen. Carino's going to take a much worse L on that show. Um, and Joey does plant the seed that Tommy's back condition may lead him to retire at only 28 years old. So here we go. We go to a, quote, non-sanctioned tag team extreme hardcore death match. Got that? Between the Impact players, Jerry Lynn, and a mystery partner. It's Sabu. Justin, he cries foul that Sabu is not a sanctioned wrestler, but this is an unsanctioned match. It's good good action early. Devolves into a walking brawl. There's a mix-up, and Sabu accidentally puts Fonzie through a table. Fonzie taking a bump for the cause. This allows the heels to take advantage and get the three on Jerry Lynn to win the match. So Jerry Lynn takes the L. What do we think about uh, Fonzie going through the table there? He must be a rat again. <laughs> the, the TV this month, my notes are so scattered because there's just so much shit happening, guys. I mean, we've got... ECW, one thing I will say, and we'll talk about this later, but they've really improved their their television product in that they're showing full matches. They're not showing highlights. They're putting title matches on TV. So that in some respect, the content isn't isn't all that great, but the matches are really, really good compared to some of those clip show highlights we used to get 94, 95, 96. So we'll move to July 17, and this is the go-home show for the pay-per-view. We're at the Mad House of Extreme in Queens, if you couldn't tell by the shot. Um, and so Paulie then says ECW starting on Friday, August 13th on TNN. Then Joey says it's August 27th. I think what they mean is that TNN is going to show a couple of highlight shows in the mo- in the weeks leading up to the August 27th live debut or live-to-tape debut. I think that's what they mean. Uh, Mr. Calling, our boy Skull Von Crush is now calling himself Vito the Skull Lagrasso. And then he gets taken out by the Dudleys, so why does that matter? Yeah, so his name is still a jobber. Yeah, saying. he's still Skull Von Jobber. Yeah. Um, this is interesting. The Dudleys cut a promo on the crowd, which turns into, I think, a work shoot? I'm not sure. It was reported both ways in the dirt sheets, but a fan or a plant attacks Bubba after Bubba was saying things that would probably get us that little red check mark uh, next to our name on podcast platforms. Um, I think it was a work angle because then Spike came in to save the day. But anyway, crowd interaction, crowd brawl, work 
crowd fight angle or real crowd fight. Either way, over the line. Um, Triple D to Spike, balls to the rescue with chair and toe. And now it's going to be balls and a mystery partner versus the Dudleys at Heat Wave. So that's one match announced. And if it's not Spike, I'll eat my hat. That's what I said in my notes there. We get Landstorm versus Jerry Lynn. Gosh, these TV matches are so, so good. Like the Lance RVD match earlier in the month, it's not it's not five stars, but gosh, if it's not one of the better TV matches you're going to see these days, considering what's on the other two shows. Um, it's a 10-minute match, ref bump, just incredible interference, of course. But then we get a setup for our next uh, pay-per-view match because the muscle-bound woman, you remember her, the the woman that's been hanging out with, the, with just incredible and Jason over the last few years? She takes pity on Jerry Lynn. And then they just beat the piss out of her for really no reason other than setting up the match between her and Jason at the pay-per-view. But then Sabu makes the save. RVD joins the fray, accidentally nails Jerry Lynn in the fracas. So then RVD takes out Sabu. Sabu is not happy. And then in the ring, if you remember, there's a, a match going on. Lance gets the three on Jerry Lynn. So you can see how all these people are kind of swirling around each other right now. The FBI is out, and we recap last week's ECW Arena show where Danny Doring, uh, buff Bagwell Bob, maybe a little bit. Um, <laughs> that might be even a stretch. Doring and Chetty are both kind of doing this weird, like, buff Bagwell adjacent. But anyway, there's this new fetching tattooed lady that's uh, hanging out with Danny Doring and Roadkill. Um, and she's helping them out, and Chris Chetty's new gimmick is the dance break, so that's annoying. But anyway... Um, this this new girl slaps Nova, who then plants her with a kryptonite crunch. National TV, guys. And then Roadkill gets the win and the distraction. That was just kind of a clusterfuck. But another great match. We get Guido, Tajiri, and Super Crazy in a three-way. And so Joey announces it's going to be Nova and Chetty versus Doring and Roadkill at the pay-per-view. Hopefully Terry Funk doesn't interfere and distract from the whole damn thing. Um, Joey sells Tajiri's new vicious side as if sending Mike Awesome onto his head from 10 feet high wasn't vicious. But anyway... Uh, Sal takes out Super Crazy with a very gentle-looking power slam. I'm sure Crazy appreciated that, so Crazy's eliminated. And then Tajiri picks up the win. Taz comes in to break up a post-match beatdown uh, by the FBI. And then Tajiri turns on Taz and joins the Carino Jack Victory crew. So now we have Tajiri as the hired hitman for Steve Carino. So now it's definitely going to be Taz versus uh to Jerry for the world title at the pay-per-view and not Steve Carino. Thank goodness. And then we also get Guido and super crazy announced guys. ECW is Matt announcing matches ahead of time. And that takes Hopefully. us. Yeah. And then we get this cue, the surf music and it's not a Tarantino movie. It's promo roulette, which takes us home led by Taz cuts a promo on Carino and Taz says, beat me if I can survive. If I let you Yoshihiro to Jerry. And that takes us to Heatwave 99. Bob, do you have the results? I do. Chris Chetty and Nova defeated Danny Doring in Roadkill. Jazz defeated Jason Knight. Super Crazy defeated Little Guido. Spike Dudley and Balls Mahoney defeated the ECW World Tag Team Champions Dudley Boys to win the titles. Francine defeated Steve Carino in an impromptu, maybe not even real match. ECW World Champion Taz retained over Tajiri. And in the main event, ECW Television Champion Rob Van Dam and Jerry Lynn defeated the Impact players. Chris, what did you think of the show? Not to, you know, throw my results out early, but this is one of the best ECW 
full length big shows, pay slash pay per views. Obviously, we used to watch the the taped specials, and may even be the best show of the year so far. Bob, early thoughts? Uh, this is the type of show where it gives me hope for the future, considering all the other shows I've been on where I've wanted to rip my eyes out. Uh, needless to say, at the end of this, I just I felt uh, like I had not wasted my time watching it. And as we deep dive into each match, I'll probably be giving the most praise that I've given thus far on anything. Well, good. The power of positivity will will prevail here. Anyway, cold open with Taz cutting the same promo he always cuts. It's a good promo. It's just the same one. And it's surf music to open the show. We get promos from nearly everyone on the card. And then we cut live to Joey in the center of the ring at the Hera Arena in Dayton, Ohio. After the open, it's Danny Doring and Roadkill coming to the ring with a young lady we learned later in the month is named Angelica. So I'm just going to go with Angelica for for, uh, sake of my sanity here. Joey suggests Angelica is of ill repute. I can't imagine why. We get a a pre-match promo from Doring who calls the audience scum. Danny calls Angelica honest, pure, and chaste, which brings cackling from Joey. She's got herpes chants from the audience. Joey calls her a hoe. And then Danny proposes to Angelica, who says yes and asks for the ring, as one does. Instead, Roadkill pulls a condom out of his hat, literally, which Doring gives to Angelica, and she seems satisfied. At least they're being safe. Nova and Chris Chetty and his new stripper gimmick are out. And it's Chris Chetty and Nova versus Danny Doring and Roadkill. It's a hot start with Nova doing the heavy lifting. Roadkill and Doring take the advantage with basically a heart attack. Roadkill squashes Nova, and we've settled into Doring and Nova. Trade fists. Doring hits the G-spot suite, tagged to Roadkill, who walks the rope and hits an incredible leg drop. Sidewalk slam onto Nova. It should be said, Roadkill has a massive in, has a massive in-ring potential for being only 22 years old. I had to look that up myself. Nova back in and hits a spin doctor neckbreaker. Chetty comes in hot and hits a nice scissor kick to Roadkill. It should be said, everybody in this match is an incredible worker. Power Slam gets a two on Doring. Stunner DDT combo by Nova onto the heels gets a two. Chetty and Nova hit tandem monkey flip spot, followed by dueling leg drops. At this point, I put in my notes, this is getting really tough to summarize. Chetty nails that awesome springboard moonsault, but he doesn't cover. It's time for a dance break. I hate this shit. Angelica seems interested, though, so maybe Chetty is onto something. Uh, He knows what we don't. Chetty dances with Doring's gal, which upsets Nova. Angelica slaps Nova, and Chetty just absolutely levels her, takes her out completely. Chetty takes out Roadkill with the Amityville Horror. Tidal Wave by the Faces is good for the three. Chetty and Nova defeat Doring and Roadkill. Bob, thoughts to you on this wild opening match? Uh, I thought the action was going really, really well. Uh, to a point where I was shocked of how much I was enjoying this. The crowd was eating it up. I was eating it up. I found myself invested into these four young wrestlers for ECW. I am literally shocked that Roadkill is 22 years old. So the sky is the limit, potentially, with this guy. There's your uh, hoss right there, too. Another hoss. I was going to say, yeah, if they were to bring in a guy like Vader in Mike Awesome, I mean, this guy is 22. If he, I guess maybe he just gets a little bit more muscle mass. I mean, who knows what could go here. Uh, but then Chris Chetty decides that it's time to do a dance break right after a really good springboard moonsault. And the pace to me, and it looked like for the live crowd too, came to a screeching halt. Really, really hurt the flow of the match and the overall enjoyment of it for me. 
And uh, I don't know if they really recovered from it, from where they were leading into it. But I would say it's still a really good match, a really good opener, and kind of like shed these guys in a really, in a very good light. And I'm all about trying to advance your younger core of guys, as I've been saying for months now for ECW. Uh, the dancing segment, though, then maybe that part of the gimmick for Chetty should maybe be eliminated. Uh, there's other ways to kind of get that reaction. It kind of felt like he's, like it's a weird partnership now with Nova. Maybe he's venturing towards like so self-centered that he's kind of turning heel and we, you know, they haven't gotten there yet or something. It was a weird dynamic to it. Um, but yeah, these guys pretty much hit all their big spots and uh, went, uh, I guess, you, balls to the wall, I guess you could say. And for the most part, aside, again, aside from the dancing segment, uh, delivered a, a pretty good opener to the to the show uh the the condom thing with angelica and doring i felt like that fell flat to really start off i mean even the crowd kind of let out like a, a groan of like oh really we're doing that so they're trying to do like off the off the wall ideas and if you get that kind of groan from ecw fan bases it must have not connected well at all but for an opening segment in terms of match uh i got a positive vibe from it chris See, this takes me back to those heady days of 97, and our opening match fodder would be the FBI versus the BWO, and how we used to say, this is how you open up a pay-per-view. This, again, is hitting those levels. A really, really, really good tag match with young guys, giving them a chance to shine. Um... Yeah, the dance break bit, yes, it had a little bit of a fun to it when Angelica came in and, you know, did the, oh, she's an easy girl type bit. But as Bob said, it does, it did neuter the the tempo that was going, um, which did hurt a little. You know, it wasn't that it completely killed the match from there on out, but it hurt a little bit. Um, obviously, Dorian Roadkill and Nova are all fucking awesome and have been for ages. Chetty was always one of those of where you'd see him and like their big thing was, oh, it's Taz's cousin. And he'd put in a decent effort, but always end up being the guy that gets his ass kicked and was a pretty bland character. I think for, for the fact it's a horrible character, but it's easy to turn heel, this stripper gimmick may work for him. Because it makes him different from the other people like uh, Adoring, in a way, no, because he's not doing the superhero thing now. Um, that he has got that little bit about him that makes him stand out. He's not just generic wrestler in singlet. So, yeah, it works for me. Um, as I said, really, really good way to start a show. And, uh, if anyone can tell me how I can get in contact with Angelica, um, yes, please. <laughs> um, I thought this was an amazing opening match. And I, the gimmick stuff, it doesn't bother me so much because it's early on the card. Like, I kind of groaned a little bit at the condom, but I thought it was kind of funny. But um, And I also definitely groaned at the in-match dance break because it still is the point of a match is to win. And... He had the man in winning position, and then he decided to dance. But it's an opening match with four young guys all trying to get over and stay over. 
It was an incredibly well-worked match. Very few mistakes. It flowed. It, it didn't. It didn't flow like the spot fest that my notes made it seem like. It was a very well-worked and well-structured match. Kind of fell apart there at the end, but even still, I think this was exactly the way a show like this needed to start. Some light humor, really good in-ring action, character development. Everybody here is new, including Angelica. So I don't think anything was lost in this match. You know, we can nitpick here and there, but as far as an opening match goes, uh, it doesn't get much better than this. We recap Tajiri turning on Taz. They play the whole segment. One might call it filler. But that takes us to Jazz versus Jason. Uh, Jason makes his way to the ring, and Joey sells that Jason and Justin have held Jazz down. Jazz and her shiny new personality, where did this come, makes her way to the ring. Uh, Joey mentioned that Jazz is in great shape, and he's correct. She looks fantastic. Jason kisses Jazz to start, and her offense initially doesn't make a difference. Scoop and a slam by Jason. Jazz recovers and hits a drop toll hold slam and a crossbody for two. It doesn't take very long to realize that Jazz is legit in the ring. Leg sweeps get, gets Jazz a two. Jason misses a leg drop. Jazz gets a neck snap and a two. The pace is outstanding. Joey says it will be embarrassing for Jason to lose to Jazz. Obligatory, I guess, but I don't know why you have to bring that up. Jason with a chop and a drop kick. Breathstroke forearm gets Jason a two. Jazz reverses a slam into a crucifix for two. Elbow gets a two. Leg drop gets a two. Kicks to Jason have no effect, but she manages a suplex into a Samoan drop for two. Jason's not a small guy. Headbutt to the lower abdominals, I guess, and Jazz gets chairs, of course. She sets one up on Jason's crotch and smacks that, that chair with the other chair. But Jason recovers with an insiguri. He signals for the powerbomb, but Jazz counters with the Jazz Stinger, essentially a front face buster, into the chair and gets the three. Chris, over to you. Well, Jason's always been a slimy little shit that gets his comeuppance. And again, it happens. Um, I really enjoyed this. Jazz looks fucking impressive. Um, obviously, we've we've seen some intergendery spits recently in some of the other feds and it always looks a bit shit. Um, this was a, a woman besting a man, not with shenanigans, not with sleight of hand or of cheat. She was better than him. Um, I, th- I think the problem is with, there is one problem with jazz is, there's not a female roster for her to go against in ECW. Um, cause obviously Francine and Dormary, they do the obligatory cat fight in lingerie skirt up ass show fong moments. Jazz isn't going to do that. And she's better than that. So I, f- I just feel she's a little bit wasted without there being any other women in, in the company. But, if they're going to do this intergender thing, I can't see her not, you know, beating some of the lower card guys. It just becomes a bit of an issue if you put her in against the guys that are getting title shots, they beat them, and then, what, you're going to put her in with Taz? That's not going to happen. You're not going to put her in with RVD or any of your, your top name stars. So there's a bit of, a, of an obvious ceiling for her at the moment. Bob, uh, I was actually quite impressed with this, which was another shocker for me. I, I haven't been a big Jason fan 
for going on probably four or five years now. Um, but dude's he did. Been a, a, dude's been around forever too. You forget. Yeah, like you. Yeah, with like with Mikey and everything from four or five years ago. Yeah, you do definitely forget uh, forget about it. Um, I thought that Jason did a, a really good job of making Jazz look good, and that's not to say that Jazz doesn't come across as a good wrestler. I think she does perform uh, pretty well. I mean, I'm admittedly fairly unfamiliar with her in-ring style or ability leading into this. Uh, but Jason selling for making her look really good um, was something that I appreciated. I was glad and kind of relieved that Jazz went over. Um, it, it, it kind of it went, it went a little longer than I was anticipating, I, especially if, if Jason were to have won. I thought maybe he went quicker, but it went like six and a half minutes or so. Uh, kind of to, to talk about or mention what kind of Chris was just mentioning – it's, it came across to me as maybe Jazz filling a role similar to, you know, what maybe China uh, has been doing in, in WWF, maybe trying to capitalize on it. Similar to, like, I feel like maybe with WCW with Medusa, uh, maybe Jazz can be that person. I would never picture her uh, in a main event scene or anything like that, feuding with Taz. I just I don't think that would fit very well. There is for sure a ceiling for her as an attraction, I think, in ECW. Uh Potentially, she could be like a, a weird tag team uh, with someone to be a, a champion, like on a fluke or something, and, and impress in that way. But I, I certainly wouldn't see her uh, advancing up in the ranks of, of being like on the marquee or anything like that. Um, and, I, and realistically, you know, seeing this type of uh, performance, she clearly knows what she's doing. Um, going on national television, you know, I feel like a raid of talent is just waiting to happen. And she would likely be someone that could be snatched up. I mean, WCW doesn't have much of anything for a women's division aside from being, you know, I I guess you could say hose for Randy Savage. There's nothing really going on there, but so does jazz would jazz go to WWF and be in a bikini or something. Maybe not, but uh, she could potentially be someone to get snatched up by, let's say, WWF, and you could incorporate her with China to add a layer to that, too, in a level of believability. Uh, but for an intergender match, which, again, we'll probably not see on TNN, uh, I enjoyed it, and uh, I was quite relieved that I enjoyed it as much as I did. And I wouldn't be opposed to seeing more of Jazz in a lower car- uh, lower mid-card role uh, moving forward. But, again, I, I don't... I don't know if I could buy into her as being a, a, main, a main event or heavily featured act for ECW. Well, and if we say there's no there's no women's division in ECW, but you just said there's not really one in either of the other promotions either. So, you know, the the same problems that she's going to run into in ECW is the, are the same that she's going to run into in either other federation. But at least here, she doesn't have to wear a bikini or hang out with the Macho Man, right? So I think maybe this is the best spot for her for now. I was very impressed by this match. It was one of those matches where you can tell they probably ran through it earlier in the day, and it was definitely, you know, 90. It was broken up basically into five or six 90-second segments, which is fine because you have it's an intergender match, so you have that that to work through. You have Jason, who's not a, a, a quality worker, but he can he can call a match in the ring, and you have Jazz who 
is probably I don't know that much about her either, frankly. And that's on me for not knowing. But she's probably relatively green, at least working a national style. And so, yeah, this match came together shockingly well. I can't imagine that these two and whatever, whoever agented the match, putting it together, thinking that this could have been any better than than it came out to be. And I don't know where this goes, but I want to see more jazz. And I think she's probably she might be the best, you know, women's wrestler going right now just based on what i've seen from her in this match i don't think there's anybody in either the fed or um in in the u.s i should say because obviously there's japanese women's divisions that are you know far and away better than anything going in the united states but other than medusa i can't think of a women's wrestler who could even come close to this chick and she was fantastic very impressive so we cut to joey and cyrus is there yay uh joey says cyrus is not on the format but it Sure looks like Cyrus is going to be on color for the rest of the show. And that takes us to Super Crazy versus Guido with Big Sal. Guido writes Big Sal to the ring. This promises to be a work rate classic, but the hardest worker in the match is Sal's knee brace. Uh, tie up to start. Lots of stalling. And I'm not sure why. It looks like maybe there's something going on in the crowd. But eventually they tie up. And Guido takes advantage. The story to start is Guido is a superior wrestler, but Crazy has the speed advantage. Guido counters a crossbody into an arm bar, and he really cinches it in. Crazy takes advantage, hangs Guido on the top, and hits a flippy thing and gets a two. Swinging neckbreaker gets Crazy a two. Ten punch in the corner has the crowd on Crazy's side. Guido gets his own ten, spot, ten punch spot reversed into a powerbomb for a two. Sal's meddling backfires, and Guido is sent to the floor. Brawl into the crowd, and Crazy hits a backflip from level two onto level one onto Sal and Guido. In fairness, soft landing on Sal there. Uh, Guido takes it to the ring, and now Sal's distraction works. Guido hits a neckbreaker for a two. Turtle World head scissors into a springboard, gets Crazy a two. Flying Nothing gets Crazy a pair of boots uh, right to his jaw. Guido hits a rocker dropper for two, and now Sal's working over Crazy on the outside, including a 600-pound power slam. Oof. On concrete a sicilian crab but crazy grabs the ropes guido catches crazy off the rope into a power bomb sal's in the ring now and hits his own rocker dropper <laughs> what a sight that was but it's only good for a two of course guido is reversing everything crazy tries but can't get the three crazy gets his own ddt but misses a springboard con rana guido is doing too much hot dogging and joey points this out uh, at this point, near the end, they seem lost in the spots, but recover for uh, Crazy to hit a Michinoku driver. He then splashes onto Sal and misses a moonsault uh, back in the ring onto Guido. A Tamakaze nets Guido only a two. And a Tiger powerbomb out of nowhere gets Crazy the three. That didn't strike me as the planned finish, but the finish it was. Bob, what did you think about this match? I thought it was a little bit um, – it was less smooth than it could have been, I feel like. Uh, I mean, maybe it was- yeah, the, the finish did kind of strike me as odd, odd placement, but uh, these are two guys that have had routinely good matches, both on television and on the house shows. Usually on house shows, though, it's like four or five minutes, literally, and, and Guido loses, but it's still a pretty good showing. This match, to me, felt completely different in terms of pace and a different level of intensity compared to those matches. Compared to maybe Crazy and Tajiri, uh you know, earlier in the year where you're arguably going to get the same match that you would get at a house show that you would get at like guilty as charged or living dangerously. Mm -hmm. It's going to be the same kind of spots and and flow and everything. Uh, This was much different. There was more intensity. I felt like more focus on bigger spots. The crowd was really, I feel like invested into it more 
so than they have been in the past for Guido in a singles role. And I thought they worked really good together. Sometimes crazy can be literal crazy and maybe miss a few things. Um, but the overall presentation of it for me, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was maybe one of the best matches on the card in general. And it's been a really strong start. I would say probably the best match thus far, even with, you know, the weird finish and a couple of spots that were uh, maybe didn't flow as well. But I want to put it, and I feel like I've been doing this every every time we talk about ECW, but Guido has got to be one of the most underrated performers that ECW has. And I'm watching, when I'm watching Heat Wave, maybe I've just been oblivious to it, but he's looking jacked, like toned. Oh, they is, talk about it. Joey mentioned yeah. that, he's, that he's cut weight and he's chiseled, man. Dude looks he great. Is, yeah, he's looking phenomenal. Like he's ready to be on national television. He's ready for a big time push or something. And it, it, to me, like I was just saying, maybe I've been oblivious for the last three or four months or whatever. But he's looking phenomenal. Easily the best shape of his career that I've been seeing. And uh, I was kind of hoping for Guido to win this because I've said it numerous times before. He needs to be able to win these kinds of matches. And, I, and on television, he's, he's gained some steam. Sometimes he'll, he'll win a, maybe a match here or there. But on a pay-per-view like this, arguably neither man has real direction. Like Super crazy is just – they're just fighting each other. It, it wouldn't hurt to have Guido win a match here. And then having that victory is able to move him up as a viable contender, where, whether it be a random TV match against Van Damme for the TV title – you can be Joey can be like he just beat Super Crazy at Heat Wave, and it gives him more of a you know viable chance of actually winning instead of well this guy loses to Tajiri and Crazy all the time. I think you beat like Antifaz earlier in the year, mm-hmm. but but that's like that's your ceiling because you're you're beating you know B you know B level guys or however you want to word it when Crazy and Tajiri are your main guys, and I don't I don't think it would have hurt to have him win here. Uh, but for 12 and a half minutes, and the you know, sale getting a few things in there too, uh, I, I I I enjoyed the match. Uh, I, I the flow of it didn't really didn't bother me, uh, but I do agree about the finish. Just it seemed as if maybe there was another sequence to happen, and they skipped that and went right into uh, like the powerbomb finish or the, the tiger driver, but. Um, Really impressive showing for both these guys, and I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, come the fall, maybe with Guido's new physique, he'll he'll get better uh, attention and focus. But really, really good undercard match. Yeah, they did the thing where the guy who loses got 90% of the offense, uh, which I guess is fine uh, for for a, in a babyface heel dynamic. But it was strange that Guido got all of his shit in and then just loses on a power bomb. Chris. Yeah, that, and I don't mean to cut off Chris here, either, but that, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's yeah. like, well, why have him dominate so much? And that doesn't help him. That makes it even look worse that he's losing essentially on like three moves that Crazy gets in. Exactly. Mr. Lacey, over to you. I enjoyed it, but I don't think I enjoyed it as much as you two did. Um, I think there was a few bits where obviously there was a few missed spots and just sort of took me out slightly. Um Obviously, I love Super Crazy. Super Crazy is fucking awesome. Um, and Guido has always been great. You know, our love for the FBI when they had Tracy and the Big Don, we we waxed lyrical about them all the time. Um, I just think that it's one of those where 
if if it had been a bit tighter, it would have been to me a much better match. Um, I just think it suffered a little bit by by a few missed time spots and that that sort of shock ending to it. I just feel that it it hurt it a little bit at the end. But these two are all fucking awesome and more of the same, please. Just tighten it up a little bit. Yeah, we're three for three so far on, on match quality, I would say, even with some of the with the shoddy finish here. So Joey hypes the August 27 debut of ECW on TNN, take a drink, and Team Dudley make their way to the ring and say they're out to prove they're the greatest tag team in the world. Devon tells the crowd to sit down and shut the fuck up, and that's about as clean as it's going to get here. Bubba takes the mic and calls the crowd uh, white trash garbage. Um, Bubba says what I'm just going to call are some, is some really rough stuff. Not going to repeat it here. Just watch the show. Um, if there was a line to cross, Bubba can't even see it in his rearview mirror. Uh, Bubba then throws a drink at a fan and gets into a scuffle with the whole front row. Just being in this miserable piece of shit city makes me fucking You people are nothing but lower class white trash pieces of garbage. Some people hate to hear the truth. He's a six-time world champion. He knows what he's talking about. They cheated every time. Tonight, Dayton, Ohio, and the rest of the entire wrestling world are going to find out why me and my brother, Devon, are the best goddamn tag team in the world. Pointing up at you, Joey Styles. Must you always stir it up? I mean, let's take a look at you people. We got some faggot in a Hawaiian shirt down here. Can we please be a little more politically correct? We got a mom in the front row who taught her daughter how to suck dick. Why are you laughing, Joey Styles? I'm not That's laughing. That's not funny. I'm not laughing. And we got some ugly Stankosaurus who's gonna take nine inches of black dick so far up our she won't know what in her. Well, that sounds like a party I'd like to go to. Are you in? No. No, I'm not. I like the Dudleys. Oh, is that your wife? 
noted there are actual literal children in the front row too and then joel gertner gets the mic uh he doesn't say anything really new and the faces are out and it's spike and balls versus the dudleys for the tag team titles and this will be a falls count anywhere affair and as usual with the dudleys the ring is more of an obstacle than a setting for grappling unprotected chair shot to the back of balls's head gives the dudleys an early advantage yep 90 seconds in Spike hits a bulldog on the ramp onto Bubba. Devon and Balls pair off ringside. Spike takes a full run at Bubba down the ramp, but Bubba reverses and flings Spike back into the ring. Devon hits Spike with a ring bell. Bubba and uh, Balls brawl into the crowd. Spike and Devon then join them. Bubba batters Balls in the head with a street sign. And now we have a cheese grater. Bubba goes to work on Balls. Balls levels Bubba and Bubba blades. Cut to Spike and Devon looking for their seats. Uh, Spike is pouring blood back into the ring and Bubba is cut deep too. Four four on the blood now. Uh, Foreman bleeding profusely and now they're brawling through the crowd. Uh, if my notes don't have any floats because the beginning of this match didn't either. Spike takes the dive from the top of the tunnel and the cameras have lost him. Good spot there. Balls and Devon remember there's a ring and try to try their hand at wrestling. And everyone's back in the ring now. Spike nuts Bubba, which sets up a dual 10-punch spot. The heel, heels recover and hit dual power bombs to reverse. The crowd chants flaming tables, and you can't put that toothpaste back into the tube, unfortunately. Uh, Joey sells the Dudleys as unbeatable, and this match is slowed to a messy crawl with the Dudleys in control. The faces recover with dual neckbreakers for two. Near falls abound. Acid drop and a nutcracker combo would have been good for a three if Sign Guy didn't pull the ref out of the ring. And then out of nowhere, an inside cradle and a schoolboy net the faces of the surprise three out of nowhere. We have new tag team champions. Didn't see that coming. It doesn't last long, though. The Dudleys attack after the match. The heels set up the tables and saturate them with lighter fluid. Spike goes through the fire table. Balls doesn't. Instead, he just lands on the top of his head when Bubba drops him. 
And then if that wasn't enough, New Jack makes his surprise return. Jack takes out the Dudleys, including a vacuum to Bubba's lower abdomen. In the corner, Balls is still down, and he's really knackered his neck. That was quite a segment match. Chris, I'm just going to turn it over to you. Whatever you want to latch on to with that, have at it, friend. So this was what we have come to expect for ECW. It was brutal as fuck. The cheese grater spot was just fucking disgusting. When Bubba just fucking ripped the shit out of Balls' head and then licked the the cheese grater. And I was just like, yeah, that's that's not going to fly on TV when you're on a national, com- national TV company. Um, Spike taking the balcony spot was just amazing. And do you know what? For, for a finish, I really liked the fact that they double-pinned them with wrestling moves. Mm-hmm. It's it's the thing that you don't expect in something like that. You, you're expecting some big, big spot to finish it. And actually, you know, a small package and a crucifix as a, as a finish is wonderful. Um, I don't know what happened with those tables or whether they were pre fired or something but the amount of lighter fluid that went on there they burnt very strangely um obviously spike being a trooper and took took the fire as best as he could um i would not be surprised if we don't see balls for a bit because that drop on his head and neck i wouldn't be surprised if he has fucked his neck with that because that was horrible and then we've got New Jack being New Jack at the end with his lovely little green bit of paper at the front saying not guilty and uh, his innovative way of cleaning a house. <laughs> uh, I agree with you on the finish. I think it was, you know, a way to nobody tries to beat the Dudleys with wrestling. And he, Joey even sold it as, wow, they used a wrestling move to win a wrestling match. Go figure. Bob, over to you. Uh, I thought, well, you know, going into this, first of all, uh, I have to like change my mindset, especially after seeing something like crazy and Guido. You kind of have to get in that. Okay, this is going to be a death match. Like I'm going to see some violent stuff going on here. So I have to I have to like, switch my brain off from like oh wrestling. I gotta enjoy it. Uh, that being said, quality brawling throughout uh, the spots that you guys have been talking about. You know, arguably you lose your mind at home seeing that, that type of stuff. And I think it helped that you know Bubba's inappropriate promo uh, before. Definitely riled up the crowd a little bit extra, maybe, for this match. And I also like the placement of the match, considering the rest of the card. Because you get exciting action between Guido and Crazy. And then the bloodthirstiness of this crowd you get right here. And then, obviously, the next segment kind of cools them down. Whichever, but we'll get there in a moment. Um, I liked the, the, I like the, the blood usage and overall wild nature of it. Because that's kind of the fundamentals of what ECW has been hyped up as being, whether it's accurate or not, because even back in the early to mid-90s, like 94, 95, 96, there's actually some really good quality wrestling that people tend to forget about. Mm-hmm. Um, the finish that you guys are liking, uh, I, I kind of felt dissatisfied with it because when you do when you do these ridiculous spots, you know, diving off of, you know, uh, you know, the balconies and all these things. And then you lose to with an inside cradle. 
I mean, yeah, I know it's like surprising and stuff like that, but it's like New Jack jumping off a balcony onto, you know, Axel Rotten or something, and then he kicks out and he picks him up and does inside cradle and he gets a three count on the table. Like, why why are we doing that? Like, I don't. It, to me, it wouldn't. For me, it wouldn't have that jubilant like, yeah, they well they won. Uh, I would prefer in this kind of situation of a more flashy or a violent way of finishing the match, especially with the Dudley boys. It's a hated team. I feel like you would want to just destroy them with something just incredibly vicious, which they have been doing to people now for a couple of years. And to do it with a wrestling move, which I guess, you know, I understand the irony of it, um, to me was just kind of uh, disappointing. Didn't I wouldn't say it ruined my enjoyment of it. It's just like, oh, okay, that's what they kind of went with they kind of made up for it with the flaming tables uh afterward i was like holy shit i can't believe they're doing this right now so that immediately made up for it uh for me uh in the context of the match and when mahoney got dropped on his neck uh i legitimately cringed i felt like and like bubba just casually walks away so he was pretty careless about it Um, oh yeah he wasn't really paying attention to where the table was he just Literally, I mean, full. I mean, Mahoney's probably close to like 340, 320, and his entire body weight was on the the back of his neck. Just a, a really kind of a, an awful, careless uh, spot there by Bubba. Um, I'm kind of, to me, for this right now, I'm kind of over the whole New Jack coming in, cleaning house. It's been played out. We're doing this now for like two and a half years. Uh, we get it, uh, but for for what this was and what it was intended to be similar to their match on television to begin the month. I enjoyed it. Um, I don't think that these type of matches shouldn't be on the card. And I know maybe a lot of uh, you know fans may hate them, but uh, you know, having brutal and heated matches with weapons and, and tons of blood, I dig it. And it, it's justifiable to do it, especially with the history with Spike and his evil brothers or half brothers or whichever. So uh, I would say it was a, a suitable tag match and some classic ECW brawling that uh, more times than that can be pretty enjoyable. Yeah, you know, if the uh, if the Bubba promo had happened like the week before this match, I would have thought that them dropping the titles was just a little bit of retribution from Paul or maybe a little bit of punishment, taking the belts off the Dudleys. But this was obviously the planned finish. And then Spike and Balls retain later in the month, too. And so they're, they're giving them some some sort of legitimate title run. I think you have to do that because what you don't want is to have your division just kind of bogged down with one team or one set. And they, that's even the storyline right now is that the Dudleys have run every tag team out of ECW. They're the only tag team left. So who's going to beat them, right? And so uh, – but on the other hand, like, Paul keeps the Dudleys as strong as any anybody else on that roster. I mean, they are unfucking beatable And so I – I get the the surprise finish in that you have to beat people occasionally. And so if Spike and Balls, especially Spike, who are definitely underdogs compared to the Dudleys, are going to win this match, I think it has to come out of a fluky scenario whether or not it's somebody else coming in to help. Maybe New Jack comes in and helps them get the three. But I, this, this type of finish and this type of match didn't bother me because the Dudleys were kept very, very, very strong. But you get balls and spike with the straps. Who knows how long they're going to be able to defend them because of balls' obvious neck injury. But I wasn't bothered by it, and I think it worked out well. And if you're going to beat the Dudleys right now, I think this is how you do it unless you establish another main event caliber team. Yeah, and I I just want to point 
point in too here. Uh, I, I mean, I, compared to what you just mentioned, like with New Jack, I would prefer the way they did it because, rel, I mean, it's relatively clean. I mean, obviously they've been using weapons throughout the time, but they did it in a clean fashion. And having them beat the Dudleys just this one time, whether they have the belts for a week, a month, six months, whatever, if let's say the Dudley Boys regain them shortly after TNN starts. The, you can have these guys fight each other and have there be reasonable doubt in fans' minds that, hey, Mahoney and Spike have done this before. Maybe they'll do it again. You can run that for six months to a year just on your house shows alone all over you know, uh, you know, know, North America or wherever they're traveling to to uh, have it be justifiable and, and, and believable that they could lose. Because, I mean, again, like you said, it's really the Dully Boys and like who else you got? It's like makeshift teams. They don't even really have a lot of formidable you know, teams aside from Chetty Nova and during roadkill, but I don't know if they're at a level to be realistic challengers to the Dully Boys or even Mahoney and Spike at this point. Right. Chris, you were going to say something? Yeah. Um, the one thing I will say is obviously about Bubba's promo. Um, so we've not, we've not gone into detail, um, but at that point when he's doing it, they have fucking nuclear heat. Right. Yet by the end of the match, they're calling for flaming tables. Only in ECW can you have someone that base. I'm, I'm going to sort of say it without saying it, tell you about what they did with them, with your mother, and how you were conceived, then have the fans wanting them to put someone through a flaming table. Oh, the and Dudley boys, please don't go to one of the big two, because you will be ruined there. <laughs> So Tommy Dreamer and Francine make their way to the ring. Joey says Tommy has two herniated discs in his back, uh, which means his wrestling career may be over. Tommy says he wasn't going to miss this show for anything, and he wants to host the after party. Uh, Tommy buries King of the Ring and Bash at the beach. He's not wrong. Um, and he says ECW is the gold standard for pay-per-view. Um, Chris and Bob, did you guys know ECW is coming to TNN? Um, anyway, uh, Tommy hypes ECW's growth before getting emotional. Tommy begins to make what appears to be a major announcement, retirement, before he's interrupted by Rhino, Jack Victory, and Steve Carino. Carino calls Tommy a 28-year-old has-been and a casualty of stupid hardcore wrestling. Carino says Dreamer needs back surgery and his career is over. Carino calls Tommy Dreamer the cancer of ECW. Carino wants Dreamer to put him over on his way out. Tommy refuses and tells Steve to shove it up his ass. Carino attacks Tommy from behind, but to little effect. Tommy gets a right hand and some chops in. And we have a referee in the ring, so I wonder how this one's going to go. Francine Bronco Buster to Carino. Francine spike, uh, spikes Steve with a DDT. And Francine gets the three over Steve Carino. That's two intergender matches in the first hour and a half of this show for anybody keeping track. We'll stop right there. Um, I'll just open up the floor. What do we think about this Tommy Dreamer uh, stuff and this this impromptu match with uh, Steve Carino and Francine of all people? Chris, maybe we'll start with you. Um, obviously, you know, there's there's a certain major thing happening that they need to, you know, slightly plug and let people know about. But I, I can't put my finger on it. Might might be something to do with with some TV or something. Take a drink um, every time they say it. <laughs> and and TNN. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's obviously one of those of. In a way, you have to have him on the show. You have to have Tommy there. Tommy is 
arguably the face of ECW. You know, I know we'll say that RVD should be because he's the top three wrestler in the States at the moment. But when you think of ECW and the major moments in ECW, obviously Tommy is that one. And him coming out and chilling made sense because it is a big moment for the company and the little engine that could that he has been at the forefront of. You know, when they first had pay-per-view, he was another one of those at the forefront of that sort of announcement and the the hype before the first for before first barely legal. Um, obviously, we know it's not a career-ending injury, but you know it's it's a good way of getting him off TV for that time period that he is going to have to go and have surgery. I love Carino being a smarmy little shit. He's so good. But him getting his ass kicked by Francine in that way, I think hurts more than helps. Um, if if Tommy would have maybe fucking caned him and then Francine pinned him, it's a different matter. But the fact of this guy who is for the past couple of months been trying to call out Taz, who's a fucking killer, to be done by a, a ref assisted bronco buster and a ddt basically means that if he ever does go in against anyone a taz or fuck it sort of nova or somebody like at that level i'm gonna think he's not got no chance he got fucking turned over by a woman with two moves i think it hurts more Yes, it was a good visual. Yes, you know, send the fans happy that the smarmy little shit got his arse handed to him. But I would have used Tommy in it in a in a way that isn't going to do him any damage. As I said, a chair shot, a cane shot, something, then let her hit the DDT and get the win. That way that, you know, if we go back a few years when the Fonzie stuff was happening with Bueller, there was a chair shot or there was there was something to basically make it go, oh shit, they've done that, then hit a move and then got the pin. Mm-hmm. It just it it I think it hurts Carino and if you've not seen Carino before and you know you haven't been watching TV but you know that this is the paper you're going into them on their big major launch, your smarmy little shit of a heel that could be money for you doesn't look good bob any thoughts on this segment uh Uh, to this point at least yeah i i I agree with chris to a point um it it hurts carino only if they're trying to shift him like if if he's not just a mouthpiece manager obviously he's a wrestler and he's wrestled in the past but in terms of this like stable it seems like he's the whiny talker and not more like not really the the worker that seems to be what uh I, you know i guess rhino would be or uh even more so recently what tajiri could be for him so if if they stick to just that where he's just the mouthpiece and he gets his you know he, he's on the receiving end of revenge from people i don't think it hurts now if you're trying to elevate him in this way of being a top level heel or something where working with a guy like taz this is monumentally bad because let's say by the fall or winter, they're, they're trying to do Carino Taz at like November to remember or something. 
for, for us as consumers and viewers, we're going to be, we'll be here talking about this guy just lost to Francine on two moves in July. How is he going for the world? Like, how is it a believable moment? So you would have to kind of regroup from this and somehow build him up again. Um, it seemed like a weird moment to like sacrifice him for the segment. I don't, I don't know really where this could possibly benefit really anybody. And why, why is Francine pinning someone on pay-per-view or, or whichever? I mean, I get the embarrassment on Carino. So you're just giving him that level of like embarrassment, kind of like what like a Bobby Heenan or something would do in the past, I guess. But, um, and I will point out too, like I'm getting kind of annoyed with dreamer and like his emotional <laughs> stuff. I mean, this has been going on for like ever, whether it be, you know, cane me more or, you know, Beulah and all these things. Seems like every month he's crying about something. Terry Funk, you're my dad, or whatever. You know, it's just borderline annoying uh, to me. But um, I think there's still potential with Carino. Um, but you, you might have some work to do to uh, have us kind of forget what was going on here with Francine. So after Francine gets the three, Tajiri attacks both Tommy and Francine. He hits the tarantula onto Dreamer, but Dreamer cinches it in to allow Taz to come in and get the early attack. And we seg right into our world title match, Taz versus Tajiri. The match just kind of starts. Uh, handspring elbow nets Tajiri the early advantage. Barl outside and Tajiri hits an awesome Asai moonsault over the barrier into the crowd. Watch that spot. So beautiful. Back in the ring and Tajiri keeps the advantage with kicks. Taz reverses the tarantula into an Alabama slam. German Taz flexes reverse into a leg kick, and then an Oklahoma roll nets Tajiri a two. Taz reverses a sleeper into a Taz flex. Head and arm Taz flex drops Tajiri on his head. Tajiri regains the advantage, only to be suplexed over the top rope. It should be said this match is pretty slow at times. Uh, kicks to Taz's head, nets Tajiri a two. Chops in the corner, and Taz is actually selling. Taz reverses a moonsault and shoves Tajiri onto Carino. Taz takes out Jack Victory, who can walk, but is leveled by Tajiri's uh, sidekick. And a sit-out powerbomb on the ramp sees Taz take advantage, but a nasty bump there. Tajiri is back up and kicks Taz, Taz who no-sells, and goats uh, Tajiri back, back, back towards a table that Carino had set up on the ramp. And then Taz snatches uh, Tajiri and puts him through that table. Nice spot there, too. Taz chases Carino away, and then all of a sudden, Joey pleads with the director to go wide, go wide, and he just kept saying, go wide and go wide, and at the time, you can't tell what's going on other than Taz has uh, has Tajiri cinched up in some sort of hold, presumably the Katahajime, and apparently Tajiri taps, but they keep the camera wide the entire time. Later in the month, we see footage that Taz had actually taken some barbed wire and wrapped it around Tajiri's head and neck. And it was just a bloody, gory nightmare. But we didn't see that on the show. We saw it later. So what we did see is a match end, presumably, by Tajiri tapping out on the rampway. Gentlemen, that was kind of weird. Chris, start with you. What did you think of this match? It was a decent match. You know, it It's good that Tajiri's getting his push, getting a, a top world title shot. Um, I was a little bit shocked with how they paced it um as you said it, it sort of plodded a little bit um but still taz got his shit in tajiri got his big kicks in taz sold the kicks which was really awesome but 
the finish with how they shot the finish hurt a lot because when when you're sitting there watching it at home on pay-per-view and you really don't know what the fuck's going on you just get oh and he's tapped out taz holds up the belt walks away and all you see is that there's a lot of blood on round taz's hands it doesn't help to not know what's going on and seeing the fact that we've seen someone getting put through a flaming table barbed wire around the face as we as i said later come to find out surprised me that, that just wasn't shown bob uh so the barbed wire thing i i noticed when taz he goes up the aisle or ramp uh, rampway and he's uh coming back down towards Tajiri, you can see in his hands that he has barbed wire uh, that he, I think, grabs from either backstage or, or by, like, the fencing or whichever. Uh, so I, I kind of understood the context of it, but Joey was saying it far earlier uh, than him returning. I think maybe he was just trying to, like, he knew Taz was up to something that wasn't good. Mm-hmm. So I, I knew that that was the case prior to it being shown on, on television. Um, I just want to point out, that ECW's world title scene is like drastically different compared to WCW WWF. I mean, WCW got Nash and Sid and Savage and saying like relatively big guys. You got, you know, Stone Cold and Undertaker, Triple H Rock, whatever, relatively big guys. And then you have these comparatively dwarf guys, Taz and Tajiri in your main event scene. So when you're like a, like a company like TNN, you know, you see guys, WCW and WWF, these big, huge stars, and then you're investing in something where, comparatively, I mean, these guys are coming up to, like, borderline, like, the ribcage of The Undertaker. And, you know, you're presenting this on television. It's just, to me, was kind of funny that the world title scene in in this company is so drastically different to the other two national uh, recognized companies. Um, I was hoping going into this that Tajiri would kind of be elevated uh, in the rinks. But that didn't come across in that way for me at all. I was In that regard, I was kind of disappointed by it. Uh, it just seemed like Taz was kind of just having his own way with him and, and snapping like he normally does uh, when he has these kinds of matches. Uh, it kind of gives you that ceiling of what Tajiri could be. So, you know, going into it thinking maybe Tajiri has a really good showing, almost wins the match. I mean, I, I just didn't get that vibe at all. That he was just kind of there to be beaten up by Taz. And so probably a disappointing uh, defense for Taz. Arguably a filler one. I, I don't know where Taz can go in terms of even challengers. Because, you know, there's the new heel stable of Tajiri, Rhino, and Carino, and Victory. Uh, really that core four of guys. I mean, there's not really much value in that yet. And with the, what happened to Carino the previous segment, that doesn't help. And I don't think you're going to invest in in Rhino. Well, Taz already, their... Taz already beat him too. Clean right up. on top, t- right? Like fairly quickly, if I remember. So, yeah. uh, you know, where, you know, who's next in line to do this? You know, could, you know, Justin Incredible and Lance Storm or something? I, I, who have devalued themselves, even dating back to the Douglas Dreamer thing, which I had been talking about that too. Like these guys need to win those types of matches to be elevated upwards and they're all just kind of stagnant. So, uh, but you know, maybe Vader and, or Mike awesome coming in could be somebody that Taz could get involved with because in the company right now, there's just not enough value for 
a meaningful, I think, match with Taz. I mean, you can't go to Sabu again. I mean, that yeah. would be a bit overkill. Um, but yeah, so ECW is pretty good, usually with, with advancing guys. This could have been a moment for Tajiri to uh, to move up a little bit. And uh, he might have taken a step back. You know, he might be pigeonholed as being, hey, he's good with three ways with Crazy and Guido, so we'll just stick him in that. And that's, to me, unfortunate because he, he definitely has the ability and I think persona to to be much more than that. And they, they just didn't capitalize on it, on that at all here. Yeah, the, the post-pay-per-view uh, TV suggests that this Taz Tajiri thing is going to go on for a while. If I'm Tajiri, I don't blame him. He just got a bar bar shoved down his mouth. Yeah. I, I think Taz is uh, – we'll take a little pause here and talk about this. I think Taz is a problem because his character is – essentially his character is such that he cannot get other people over in matches. He just can't. He has to be Taz, and Taz is not Shawn Michaels. You know, He can't sell, and he can't bump around for these guys, and he can't take L's. You know, He's Taz, and so using Taz as your – main event guy trying to get over other guys i don't i think that's a fool's errand the other issue with taz is if you put him up against a guy like vader or even if you put him up against a guy like awesome you're going to expose that he's just a small guy i mean he's thick he's 240 but he's 5859 right so you have this killer who's structurally different than any other top guy as well as someone whose character can't allow them to really take losses or sell that's tough to keep a main event scene strong when you have that type of guy um, in, in the mix. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, it's it's one of those things we've said before. See, in ECW, it's okay for someone to be small because it's not the land of the giants where the Fed and WCW are. I think going national and going on the, the big TV may may actually make it seem even worse that you know Taz is the size that Taz is. Um when he's going against Candido who's just shy of six foot, it doesn't look that bad. When he's going against Tommy, again, around the six foot mark, it doesn't look that bad because he is the stocky guy that will throw you around, so it doesn't look bad. I just feel that there is obviously that potential that when they do go very soon onto the big boy TV, that the mainstream audience that are used to a Hogan, an Austin, an Undertaker, a Goldberg, people being of that size and stature, it may look a bit of a joke for someone being that size. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Bob, what do you take to the, to the idea that Taz really just can't be used to get other guys over? Well, that's the gimmick. The right. gimmick isn't for him to have these great matches. It's, it's like it's like an undersized Goldberg almost, where he's supposed to go through everybody. So you're not going to have like a career-defining moment with a guy like Taz. And he's certainly not going to sell for you to where it's like, oh, wow, that guy hit a great move. Like The idea for him is... If, like, Van Damme were to hit a top rope spinning heel kick, Taz is going to, like, stumble and go to the corner. But he's going to stay on his feet, and he's going to toss you with a Taz, you know, Taz suplex to the floor or something. He's not going to sell it to where it's like, oh, wow, it's crazy. So, and it's probably also his mentality. I mean, he probably doesn't want to 
because he is a shorter guy, so he probably feels like he can't give much because the second that he gives too much, it devalues him. So if he's 5'8 and he's coming across like a wrecking ball, he has value there. But if he gives too much away, then the perception from the crowd for what he can do is going to diminish like significantly and probably pretty quick. I mean, he's been doing this in ECW since really the beginning, back when he was even Tasmaniac. Like mm-hmm. he, he wasn't giving much of anything to anybody ever. And that's why he's been able in ECW to be seen as this absolute monster and beast despite his size. So, yeah, that that is a problem. I mean, you're not going to have like, – you wouldn't want to put a guy like Nova in there and be like, hey, Taz, go make Nova. It's just not going to happen. But it could happen with a guy like Van Damme who will f- freaking sell out, out his ass to make him and still win. So I think for when you're trying to, like, elevate guys and make these guys – the guys in our main event of this show are going to do that instead of what Taz can can do for you. And I'll thank Mr. Calling for the transition. It is our main event. Uh, Rob Van Dam and Jerry Lynn with Bill Alfonso versus the Impact Players. It's just incredible in Landstorm, and they're with Don Marie. Uh, everybody gets full entrances, but RVD gets the Hogan entrance, and it's not even close. He's the top guy in the company right now. Uh, tease dissension between the faces to start. A little bit of stalling here, a little bit of house show type booking, but not too bad. Lynn and Justin start with some grappling. Justin takes the early advantage. Lynn reverses with chops in the corner. Each teases his finish, and Justin takes a flare bump into the corner. And a slingshot sends Justin over the top onto Lance. RVD and Lance with more grappling. Uh, should be said, Rob was a little bit sloppy here, but his wife was, I guess, was ill or injured, and so he probably was distracted. Anyway, still good stuff. Shoulder block takes Lance down. A monkey flip sends Lance uh, to lick his wounds. And lots of chain wrestling here uh, results in a single leg crab by Lance. Love that spot. And now Jerry's in with Lance. More wrestling. And Lynn gets an abdominal stretch in a hangman, hangman spot. Justin then canes Jerry uh, through the ropes. And the heels have arrived. Uh, Justin's in to punish Jerry. Knee to the face followed by a sit-out powerbomb. They trade chops and Lance comes back in. He almost misses Jerry on a dropkick because he jumped too fucking high. Seriously. They do that spot with all the pinning combinations, but Lance drops Jerry with a super kick. And then Cyrus, out of the blue, buries Chris Jericho. Well, I guess not out of the blue if you heard our news segment at the top, but that was kind of random. Lance sends Jerry into the barrier while Justin distracts the ref. Justin hits the razor's edge for a two. Justin keeps the advantage, and Jerry can't get the hot tag. There's a chair in the ring, but Jerry sends Justin into it with a DDT. And a... a Moderately hot tag to Rob, and Rob kicks Lance in the face. Top rope uh, top rope sidekick nails Lance, then Fonzie helps Rob with a Van Daminator into Lance. Fonzie then holds the chair to let Rob do his spinning leg thing into Lance uh, on the barrier. Meanwhile, Jerry bulldogs Justin on the ramp. Rob misses a splash and takes out several people in the crowd, but he recovers and nails a flippy thing on the floor. Uh, back in the ring, Rob reverses Lance. Uh, uh, Rob reverses a Lance pickup, plants him, and gets the two. This is a very fast-paced match, if you couldn't tell. Justin is avoiding Rob. Uh, we should mention that's the story of the match. Rob and Lance find themselves on the top rope, and Lance sends Rob off and nails that gorgeous top rope spin kick. Rob recovers and hits his tumbling senton onto Lance. Justin attacks RVD from behind. Fonzie then sets up Justin onto a table after RVD puts him down. But it's Sabu, and Sabu runs in and puts Justin to the table and, and steals RVD's thunder there. That tricky Sabu. RVD then misses Lance and hits Jerry with a frog splash. But then Jerry kicks out of the frog splash. 
It's a clusterfuck that ends when Jerry hits the cradle pile driver and lands for the three. And after the match to close the show, RVD, Sabu, and Jerry all scuffle as we go off the air. That was an action-packed 20 minutes. Chris Lacey, what are your thoughts? This was a fucking awesome match. It was, all wasn't these it? Guys, uh, all these guys could quite easily be top-end, mid-card to low-end main eventers in either of the two big companies quite easily. Please don't do that because then I won't know what I will do with watching ECW. Um, I'm going to make a massively bold statement right now. I think RBD is the third most over wrestler in the US right now. He is only behind Rock and Austin. He is more over than any fucker in WCW is. And everyone is eating out of the palm of his hand. He is, if when they go on the TV, they don't make him the face of this company and push him as the main star on TV, they are wasting this opportunity. And the problem I have is that RVD getting national exposure may mean that Turner opens up his uh, credit card and uh, lets Bischoff go however much, just give it to him. Bob. Okay, so this the first like three minutes or so, if you want to like really nitpick, was like you know slow, which is to be expected. But it, the last like 15 minutes of this match, which is obviously the majority of it, was really good. I mean, it, they picked up the pace, constant action, all four of these guys looking really really good. So a, a very good main event to close out uh, the show. The aftermath with Sabu. I mean, immediately I'm thinking we're going to get Sabu, Lynn, RVD, triple threat. That's always been like their kind of go-to uh, match. You know, it made them, uh, in terms of, you know, getting on the map with Sabu and Douglas and Funk. You know, now you're going on national television. Could this be maybe the first match or the first main event of that first TV show where you just go like an hour with these guys just doing it? I could, I would think that could be potentially fun. I don't know if Sabu can can go an hour without, you know, messing everything up. But uh, who knows? That, right. Yeah. That, that could be a lot of fun. Uh, I don't, I don't know if I could agree with RVD being the third most over guy in wrestling. And just because sure WCW is on the downtick, but they're still having like 6 million people watch their programming or whatever it is. And obviously WWF is like doubling that, um, but like a guy like Goldberg and Hogan, um, Sting. I mean, you have an arena, let's say of twenty thousand people, whether they're casual fans or diehards, and you send out Hogan or I mean they're going to go nuts. And you have a guy like RVD who is arguably wrestling in front of like eight hundred fans most nights on a on a good night. Um, I don't think he's nearly as well known in the wrestling world as maybe we're trying to give him credit for. And it's no fault of his own. I mean, it's, it's ECW. It's not very friendly for advertisers. It's not very friendly for, you know, well, it's a documentary about ECW guys today. I mean, that's just not going to happen. Uh, now with national television, you know, that could change. Um, but I think right now, I don't even know if I could put him 
even in like the top 10 of most popular rustlers going and because that's incorporating like i've said your casual fan your diehards your casual fans are are not going to know the majority of these guys on this show that's just kind of how it is because ecw is in their own little bubble uh he probably should be because he's arguably the best wrestler going right now in ring Uh, i would definitely say that without any kind of hesitation but in terms of most popular i think uh, that might be a bit of a stretch, but uh, an enjoyable match. I mean, just incredible as like a low main event guy in either of the two big companies. I don't know if I could see that. No. Maybe if he, maybe if he yeah. just doesn't talk. Maybe, but even that, like I don't. His in ring. I mean, all of his moves are pretty much stolen from the other main event guys. Like, you know, so I don't, I don't, I don't know about that. But Van Dam, Lynn, and, and Storm, for sure, upper mid card. Uh, low main event, filler main event type of guys. Well, Van Damme is a main event guy, but like Lynn and Storm yeah. uh, could fit into the, that role that was described. Incredible uh, could be a mid-carder easily. Um, but yeah, a, a, a really good uh, main event. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, Some pretty good uh, workers and rounded out a uh, relatively, I would even say relatively surprisingly, uh, good showing for ECW. Yeah, I think I think with Just Incredible, I mean he's always a reliable worker. I don't I never watched one of his matches, even going back to Aldo Montoya on Superstars, right? And I've never watched one of his matches and thought, oh, he's not good. He just he his character is just so grating to me, and it's just I don't know. But I think he's a fine worker. And then when you put him in there with three world class guys like Bob, like you just said, it really masks a lot of his character shortcomings and a lot of his you know relative in ring shortcomings. He's still a better worker than almost anybody in, in WWF right now, but still um, you put him in there and it, it works. I, I think we can agree or disagree on how over RVD is you know, on a national level, but I think we can all agree on that. You know, if, if I'm buying future stock and wrestlers, RVD is the one I'm putting most of my cash behind because this guy, he's as over as he is with the limited exposure that he has. And so with national TV or in a in a WWF or WCW environment where he is reaching 6, 10, 12 million people a year, I could see that guy catching lightning in a bottle. Absolutely. I really could. So I think we'll all just buy future stock in RVD and hope that our investment pays off. I thought this match was really, really good, surprisingly good. Um, you know, I'm not always so big of a fan of ending the shows with tag matches or non-title matches, but I think the way the show is laid out and this match – bring it home was was excellent so uh anyway uh that that'll do it um that's the end of the show uh chris your final thoughts and a score rating out of 10 so this is one of ecw's best pay-per-views slash specials because i'm going back to the very beginning um this is a must-watch show um it's fucking epic and i would arguably say so far this year this is my show of the year. Um, I can't think of anything WCW done that's done is better. And, you know, the Rumble and Mania were, were good. You're but this was better than those. So nothing the Fed has done so far really beats it. So, yeah, must watch 9 out of 10. Mr. Colin. Uh 
I really I enjoyed this this whole show. Um, aside from really the Francine Carino segment, there wasn't anything on here that didn't belong uh, or, or didn't uh, enhance the viewing experience for me. Uh, I would agree that this was probably the best sh- uh, best show of the year uh, thus far amongst the top three um, in terms of just nothing crapping the bed. Like there isn't a random Scotty Riggs match on this show that has no reason of taking place. That like WCW do, for instance. Um, I mean, some of maybe the decisions and finishes might have rubbed me the wrong way, but uh, you know, like the Chetty segment. So it might be like little little tiny pieces of that prevents it from being like the best show ever, or the greatest ECW show ever for me. Uh, I'm gonna give this. I guess I think this is the highest rating I've given a show thus far. I'm gonna give this an eight out of ten. Uh, definitely well worth. Uh, you know the two hours and 45 minutes or whatever that it breaks down to, uh, to check it out. And I don't think people would be disappointed by viewing it. Yeah. My, my complaints about this show are, are very nitpicky. I think there was a little bit uh, too much talking and a little bit too much non-wrestling going on. Uh, there could have been one more match in there, but then you run into that problem where are we just putting matches on to have matches and, and putting filler in? So I, I, in a sense, I'm kind of glad that they went with a lean card. I don't think the show ran more than 240, 245. Um, so, you know, shorter than even your your normal pay-per-view. Um, every match was was above average, except for the Taz to Jerry match, which mm-hmm. if they're planning seats for a longer feud, those guys are going to have better matches because they're both, you know, to Jerry especially, very good workers. Um, the Spike, you know, listeners to the show will know I'm not a big fan of the Dudley Boy style matches, but I certainly appreciate that what their product is. They do a good job of doing it. So I'm not going to let that get in the way. I'm going to split the difference here, and we'll call this show an 8.5 out of 10. Um, it is the best DCW show uh, since last year's Heat Wave, which I think I gave a 9. Um, and it is it is the best show of the year so far, as far as I can tell. 8.5 out of 10, and that'll be our average for Heat Wave, 99. Go watch it. So we'll quickly do the TVs to recap the month. Um, very, very quickly. July 24, and this is your standard post-pay-per-view uh, uh clip show uh we learned the next pay-per-view will be september 19 it's called anarchy rules of course with a z um and then we cut to july 31 and we're in new orleans with joel gertner and the dudleys it's a rematch with dudley and uh, the dudleys versus balls and spike and balls and spike retain with another spike stealing a pin on devon spot they teased ascension of the dudley camp but it doesn't go anywhere um they recap the Tommy Dreamer Lance Storm match from Hardcore Heaven in May, only to sow the seeds of how Tommy Dreamer apparently got injured, or at least that's the story they're telling. For what it's worth, that was an awesome match. Go back and watch it. Uh, and then our last segment here is Danny Doring and Angelica, not complaining, to bring us home. Did I mention Angelica is there? Uh, before anything can happen, Sabu attacks Doring and Roadkill, and then Fonzie fucking straight up kicks Angelica in the face. And Sabu puts her through a table. National TV. Sabu wants RVD. So, Bob, I think you're probably right about that three-way. And we're out for TV on the month. So one last thing to discuss, gentlemen. Probably spend 10 minutes here and go home. ECW on TNN. Uh, I think this is an opportunity for us to really discuss what this is going to look like. Um, We've already talked about you know, thoroughly throughout the show, the on-screen subject matter, getting ECW in hot water with TNN. 
the violence at Heatwave, Bubba's comments, male-female violence, which has been on every single show ECW has broadcast this month. Um, I guess I'll just turn it over to you, Bob. You know, any 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 little detail or any issue you want to take up with ECW on TNN, what are your thoughts on what this might look like? Uh, what We can talk about what the deal looks like, just wh- wherever direction you guys want to take this. And I've been doing a lot of reading on this subject, but I thought we could just see what this might look like, because it does appear that ECW has gone mainstream. Uh, yeah, so admittedly, I, I don't know much of anything about the, the TV deal part. Uh, okay. I would as I would imagine ECW is getting some kind of monetary so wh- benefit from this. So what it is, they are, but then TNN gets 10% of all ECW revenue, and that includes gates and pay-per-view, video games, if there's a video game in the future, merchandise so it's kind of a it's a reciprocal agreement almost a buyback where you know theoretically the tnn exposure will give ecw you know a bigger financial windfall but then 10 percent of that is immediately going to come off the top right back to tnn okay i got you um okay so there's no way that we're going to get flaming tables male on female violence um cheese graters uh, just a variety of different things. Maybe New Jack in general. We won't get on uh, on TNN. Yeah, you were just hoping. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, come on. This guy is not not pleasantly on the eye, and he looks like he would maybe actually hurt somebody. When ironically, he has. Uh, I I kind of feel like that ECW will be substantially watered down. To a point where, you know, you look at the uh, the WWF and their hardcore division, if you want to, whatever you want to call it that. It, it might be something along those lines. I don't think there'll be blood, uh, which is really, I think, I, w- I want to say that ECW will be, it'll be edgy uh, in terms of angles and stuff like that. But in terms of, you know, your blood and viol- violence and stuff like that, I think it's going to be... It's more similar to what you're seeing on Nitro than you would see on Raw. You know, I think you're right. The reports are, uh, and who knows how much this is going to change in the next six weeks and even after the show launches, but the reports are that ECW is going to keep producing hardcore TV so that can reliably be what it is or they can do all the blood and guts. I was just going to say that that's what what hardcore TV could be. So on TNN, you could be like, we got this going on. But if you go to hardcore TV at... 1 a.m. You're going to see this crazy no rope barbed wire landmine match or something that they could just throw on over there. Exactly. And they've been extremely explicit in, in their interviews and with the with yeah. the television magazines and stuff that the ECW on TNN product is going to feature in ring matches. And they even went so far as for Paul to say, I envision our one hour to be three longer matches de-emphasize the out-of-the-ring stuff, emphasize the in-ring product, and make it a wrestling show. So we're looking at almost something like structured like a territorial wrestling show more than than hardcore TV. So uh, mm-hmm. you're right on the, you're right on the money with 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 how you think this might look like. Chris Lacey, take it away, my friend. So one thing, obviously, being this side of the pond, I obviously don't know how your American TV works in the same way that obviously you guys do. Obviously, we know that if this is a national company, it has um, obviously a big catchment area obviously you know potentialized on the screen and I know it's part of the CBS conglomerate but in real terms 
TN is is that what like everyone gets hold of it or is it like a premium thing that you're paying for? I I believe it comes in most uh, cable packages, so it's not the the numbers I didn't write down, but they said that the average uh, viewership for that network is something like 800,000 in prime time, whereas TBS is like 2 million. So it's, it's about half as uh, watched as the Turner networks and USA network is usually along the same line as the Turner networks in terms of viewership. So no, it's a, it's about half, about half the reach, I think of the WWF and WCW networks. Okay. So it's a bit like, so it's a premium channel. So you have to buy a, a cable subscription to have it. Um, but it's it's on there and it gets a decent turnaround. You know, it's one of those because obviously being this side where we just have our five channels or you have Sky, you know, we we have it a bit different over here. Um, but yeah, I've, as Bob was saying, it's gonna have to be a very much toned down version of what we're getting. Obviously, the fact there's still going to be hardcore TV is amazing because it means that we can still have the violence. But what have we always said about ECW is when they do the wrestling part of it, they get really good guys that can wrestle. If we're going to get Super Crazy, Guido, Nova, RVD, Storm, Credible, Jerry Lynn, all the wrestling guys on TNN... And you just drop a hint of, oh, and if you watch this, you can see Sabu. And all you do is you do a little tease of a Sabu moment. You know, you do him doing one of those safe table spots. You know, and then go, if you want to see this sort of stuff, watch this. I think we're going to be fine. Um, You know, if you're going to put a Jerry Lynn versus RVD match on TNN, give them half an hour. I'm pretty sure that's going to get a better rating in because I don't know how much a big thing ratings are in the States. That will probably get a better rating per viewership than anything on t- rural Nitro would. Because that wrestling is going to draw people that like wrestling. The people that are missing territory days are going to sit there and watch that sort of stuff or uh, a storm match and go, oh, we're getting catered for for proper in-ring wrestling. So I think potentially, yes, we're not going to get the violence. We're not going to get the extreme. But if they can promote the wrestling side of it, get eyes on it, I think you then also get people then watching the hardcore TV to see the extreme stuff too. The only thing that I have can see being a downfall is the core audience are so ingrained in the violence and the extreme and ECW basically being what we've seen for the past couple of years that you piss off your, your bread and butter by not having the violence. Uh, I think that's a legitimate argument to play devil's advocate to your initial point too. uh, If you have, this national TV product, so you're going to probably their viewership is going to be 90% new eyes, right? And so you sell this one product on your TV show that most people are going to watch, and you're going to sell it as another wrestling product akin to WWF and WCW. 
But then let's say a kid turns in, you know, kid and his dad watch the show, 12-year-old kid or whatever, and, oh, I want to watch the pay-per-view. Well, if you haven't really been following ECW all that much, you don't have access to hardcore TV, which not everybody in the United States does, and you've never seen an old ECW pay-per-view, you turn that on, you expect to see three hours of in-ring action, and then you have, you know, Bubba Dudley slicing up Balls Mahoney with a cheese grater and dropping him on his head and putting Spike Dudley through a flaming table. I could see there being a little bit of a backlash on that from that end too, where it's like, what are you selling to your new audience? Mm. Because you can't sell you can't sell old ECW to a new audience. It's just there's a disconnect there that I'm not sure how ECW is going to try to be essentially two separate, you know, one company with two separate products, but your bread and butter is pay per view where you have to merge those things. So it'll be. A, a monumental achievement and there's no smarter guy in the wrestling business from the from a creative side to do it for how paul is able to unify all these seemingly contradictory things in order to get a successful tv product that grows the the product overall but doesn't doesn't sacrifice ecw's core because they still only have that to distinguish them really from the two big big companies that ecw does have the hardcore wrestling and they focus on in-ring action but they, they're not just trying to sell one or the other. They're selling both, but now they really can't sell the hardcore stuff on TV. I'll be interested to see how it goes. And the last thing that I wanted to talk about with you guys is what the show will actually look like. And so it looks like ECW is going to try to run bigger arenas. I don't know what that means. Probably your Louisville Garden type uh, or uh, what's, what's the one in Louisville that has about 5,000. They used to run in your house there from time to time. Venues like that. We also think that it's going to be Joel Gertner and not uh, Don Callis Cyrus uh, on color, but that could change as well. Any other any other developments as far as what the show looks like presentation-wise that you think they need to do to get this thing uh, off the ground bob see i i don't know if i would want to put it in in larger venues um kind of the reason why i like ecw especially their their television in reference to hardcore tv is because they have shows at elks lodge they have you know the ecw arena and, and stuff like that elks lodge is one of my is one of my favorite venues to to visually watch um i'm like i'm on television because I like the idea of having a show in front of 600 fans where they're right on top of you. And the ECW crowd is so rabid with just a few hundred people in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, like I kind of I kind of like that compared to, you know, running a building with 3,500 fans. And I would have to imagine, I don't want to say a good percentage, but a decent percentage of those people may be casual fans, especially the first couple of weeks that you're doing it. Uh, they might be walk-up guy. Oh, wrestling! Oh, let's go check it out. And then, you know, who knows how that that crowd reaction will come across on television. And sometimes, uh, having several thousand people in attendance uh, kind of maybe muffles the crowd reaction. So when you're seeing these big spots that normally 800 wrestling, uh, 800 ECW fans would be going absolutely nuts for, having it happen in front of 3,000 fans might not even have the same pre- you know, presentation value to it. So I would try to detach it as much as I could from your other two national brands. Um, and you, might, you can have the argument that if you do that, it makes them look lower level, which I kind of think should be – that's what ECW is. Not lower level, but like the outlaw. 
you know, they're mm-hmm. going going national like this. You're kind of distancing yourself from being a rebel, and you're kind of propelling yourself into wanting to be a competitor. Um, and that's kind of the appeal of ECW is being the rebel. That's how it's always been with pay per view. Like they don't want us, and then you finally get it. And now you we want national television. You got to give it to us. Now you have it. So now you're competing. I mean, that, that's what I, I'm kind of taking this as. ECW is ready to actually compete. Um, and for me, you it's like it's like with musicians. You know, you have a band and you're a huge fan of them, and they're doing concerts in front of 150 people. And the second they sell out to go to a big album, you're kind of like, and then you, all your buddies are like, "Yo, dude, did you hear these music? Yeah, I've known them from the beginning. Oh, dude, they're so sick. Have you heard this song?" your appreciation for that band goes down a little bit because it's not your band. You know what I mean? Like you don't have that attachment to it anymore. So I could see where with ECW where it's like, Hey man, have you heard of Jerry Lynn? And it's like, yeah, man, he had this great match with the fucking Sabu on this show. I was watching. I don't know who they are, but like, it was great. And then so everybody knows about it. And you're like, well, I remember with like lightning kid in global. Mm-hmm. So then it's like, okay, so now everybody knows about it. It's not as cool. So I'm kind of afraid that ECW won't be as cool as it once was or is even today. So I would try to keep it to run, maybe even have the TV, I don't want to say just at the ECW arena because then you'll devalue that arena. But keep it in your 1,500-seat arenas and really kind of enhance it in that way. And Heyman's phenomenal at doing that. You know, you guys like San, like uh, Hack, you know, Sandman, all these guys, and they go somewhere else, and you're like, wow, this guy's not that great, because he's able to hide stuff very well. And I kind of hope that he's able to hide things production-wise, just as he's able to hide maybe the failures uh, that the wrestlers through the years have had, and be able to highlight the good stuff, like Public Enemy and stuff like that. So, sure. like, who knows? I, I'm curious to see how it works, uh, and I think that if they were to keep it to where they are at, because that's always been like what like with with uh, Todd Gordon. You know, he wanted Northeast. Just keep it Northeast. We don't have to do all these things. And, and it looks like Heyman, full steam. He's going exactly for you know what you know what his goal is and what his dream is. Um, but you don't want to expand too quickly. You don't want to be doing these arenas of four thousand people and only eleven hundred show up because that's going to hurt your value. I would rather have eight hundred fans sold out there casual fans on TV like oh wow I, I might not be able to get a ticket to this thing instead of being like oh okay they ran this huge building and like look at the upper like the Georgia Dome for instance for Nitro this month like it's a ghost town compared to, to even January you know what I mean so that the perception of, of the product could be seen negatively by doing it that way completely and I think there's a way to do pricing too where you don't lose you don't lose a ton of revenue if you're running smaller buildings because yeah. you know you have 800 people who are going to pay pretty much whatever you charge versus if you're paying a pay, playing a 3,000-seat uh, arena uh, and you have to paper it or you have to lower ticket prices to some you know comically low mid-90s WWF level. Yeah, but um, and, and, yeah. and the thing, too, with like merchandise, you know, so yeah. you're selling these T-shirts. Let's say before this, you're going 15. I, you, if you pump it up to 25 – with 800 people, and let's say 400 of them buy a shirt or whatever it equates to, you're balancing it out. So I wouldn't want to have 4,000 people and selling my my t-shirts for 15, and then you know not getting the you know the same type of of sales. 
I mean, surely right. four thousand people might buy it, but but then I think I think WCW and all these guys are pretty good with their whole online thing. Plug your website, you know, get a I don't know how it works, so get a store or something, and, and and do that and try to you know get a, ahead of the game in that regard, right? As well, you know, so you could shift your focus, you know, try to. I mean, Heyman seems to always be pretty good with jumping ahead of the curve a little bit with, you know, the hardcore aspect and all this stuff. So there's other ways to utilize your, you know, your exposure to kind of maybe get ahead of uh, WW and WWF. Chris Lacey, final thoughts. Yeah. So again, I agree with what Bob said with the venue sizes, obviously um, they run the, the show in Brooklyn, uh, which just looks awesome. It's like a smaller version of that venue that they used to take Raw in originally. Um, you could look at somewhere like that. Yeah. Still small and intimate enough, but a bit bigger. You know, it's a couple of hundred people more. You always want a full show, as you said, than a half empty show. Um, but going back to one of your band analogies, um, Metallica recently played a nightclub in London called Ministry of Sound. On their, store, their their big stadium tour where they were doing arenas, tickets for that were like 25, 30 quid. Tickets for their Ministry of Sound show were 100 quid, and they sold out in less time than any of the arena shows. People paid more because they're in a 200-cap venue. Right. If the demand is there, there was, there was people trying to resell them, sort of saying, I've got tickets... 500 quid 600 quid if you've got a turn away audience there's that demand and it always looks better to say if you read in the newsletter back when we were doing this a couple of years ago and every every tv taping turn away crowd they could have had an extra 200 people in so they increased the bleachers and then they still had a turn away crowd at the arena and it just kept going and going it would be better for them to do that than say, as you say, run a 5,000 seat venue and only get two, three and two, 3,000 in even at that. You're like, it still won't look good. I think for a TV product, the improvements that they've done in the last few years with the entrance being, you know, the barbed wire and stuff, which is pretty standard in most places that they're going I mean, that helps it sort of, I think the problem with something like Raw and Nitro, because it's a generic set in a generic city and there's no building ambience because it's just sports arenas. I think if you have a stage that looks the same, but each venue you go to has some character, it looks better on TV. And, it's like there's, oh, I can't remember what the venue's actually called, but it's in Pittsburgh, the one that has the weird bubbled roof. I love it when they go there because it looks awesome. It, you know, it's a different venue. No one else is running there. I think you need to keep that part of ECW for their visual thing. Yes, have a, a generic stage if that's what you want to go in with, but go into buildings that still have character. As you were saying for commentary, I think going on TV 
Joel has to, or um, Joey has to have a second. It's great, and we've we've praised him to the hilt for what he can do as his, on his own. But TV wrestling audiences are conditioned to there being a panel, is what I will call it, because obviously different size announce groups that there is multiple voices and it's not just the one guy because it's the same in sports in real real sports you don't get just one commentator calling everything i love the concept of gertner doing it but at the same point are we going to get gertner the dudley's gertner Mm. where he's filth and funny because how filthy he is or are we gonna get a watered down version of that or are we gonna get something completely different with him but i also take cyrus i think i think especially after the pay-per-view the bouncing between cyrus and joey works really well because it's just like you've got joey who's like fuck's sake i've got this guy i've got to fucking deal with i hate everything he's saying and the smugness of Cyrus works. So it's a necessary evil that we're going to have to have two commentators. Part of me is excited by the concept of Gertner just because we know how much I love Gertner. But I don't know what you could do with him or how you can put him into that for national TV and not be filth, whereas... Cyrus can work. Yeah, and I think yeah, I think one option would be to just to kind of rotate them too, because in normal sports that happens. You don't always have the same commentators when you turn in uh, tune in for a game. So I think it could really work. I, I think one thing that is clear is that ECW will never be the same, or at least ECW shouldn't ever be the same again. And we're all anticipating. Uh, next month and tune in the next month's show because that will be our first venture and everybody's first venture into ECW on TNN and how this is going to impact the company remains to be seen. And that will bring us to a close for the month of July. Uh, I'd first like to thank Chris Lacey for letting me uh, sit in his throne. I've kept it warm for you, sir. Chris, anything to plug? Uh, Show and Tell Tunes is coming back, um, obviously, as with this taking a mini hiatus for a little bit, so did that, um, but we will be back and I have much more fun songs to play. Um, I have this opportunity to thank you, Eric, for filling my my shoes this month and doing all the, the grunt work. It's very much appreciated because, um, obviously, real-world shit has meant that I haven't had the time or the drive to to put my usual level of effort in but i'm very grateful that you have you've helped out and uh, held the fort and basically make me look like an amateur now you, you know you did it too well <laughs> well you can you can have it back sir i'm just i'm just filling in um and yeah we're, we're happy to have you back uh, bob calling thanks to you as well i know you're on you're on other shows tell us what those are uh, yeah, well, th- thanks for having me on, guys. Any any month that I'm able to uh, be part of this, I look forward to it, and I always have a, a really fun time talking uh, with you guys. So, again, thank you for that. Uh, 
so yeah, a couple things to plug. You can follow me on Twitter at yobobbyboy89. Uh, sometimes I'll just talk about random things I'm watching. Uh, no one really probably pays attention, but hey, that's what Twitter's for. Uh, WrestlingRecaps.com for various uh, show reviews, articles, magazines, stuff like that. And I've also got my own podcast, Icopod, with my buddy Austin Skinner. We uh, just got done recording King of the Ring uh, 94, which uh, should be out probably shortly around the time maybe this is released. I'm not sure. Uh, I, but if, I have a question about that show. Yeah. How much does that guy weigh? Yeah, right. So uh, we, we've noticed a, a couple of times that uh, Mr. R. Donovan might have been muted uh, on the <laughs> the event uh that they have on the network there. So, uh, yeah, my buddy Austin, I don't think had seen much of it, uh, in terms of being paying attention to Art Donovan. So it was an interesting conversation for a couple of hours, uh, that we did there, but we've had, uh, close to, I think what, 80 episodes now for Icopod, starting with the first raw in 93. So, uh, we've trucked along, uh, fairly well to this point. So, uh, yeah, Icopod is, uh, it's on iTunes, Icopod at, uh, Icopod.podbean.com, uh, I guess maybe an easier way of checking it out. But if you enjoy early 90s WWF nonsense where the new generation includes Nikolai Volkov, then you can check out Icopod. Support our family of podcasts, Show and Tell with Tunes, Icopod, both both very good shows. Um, and just a reminder, this show, we are on Patreon at patreon.com slash wrestling20yrs. Uh, just a few dollars a month for early show releases and bonus episodes. Uh, Rory McNamara and I recently reviewed uh, Daniel Bryan versus Kofi Kingston from WrestleMania 35 and Shawn Michaels versus Triple H from SummerSlam 02. Very different matches those were. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. And, and finally, go ahead and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platforms. And if you're on iTunes, we'd love the five-star reviews and we'll take them all day. But if you can, leave a comment, any comment with your five-star review. Reviews really, uh, with comments, really help us climb the charts. And do the same thing with Show and & Tell and with Icopod, too. Give them that five-star review and leave that comment. Uh, we're on Twitter. Uh, we're on Facebook. We are on Patreon. So for Chris Lacey and Bob Calling, this has been Eric Landstrom for the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We'll see you on TNN in August. I've said this a lot of times before. I've wrestled on an ECW show with 50 people on it. And those guys put on one hell of a show. And those 50 people told friends. And then we grew that house to 100. And then it went to 200. So far, so forth. And now, I believe, this Dayton Arena is sold out. So what I'm saying is... We had small houses, we had one TV station. Then we went and all you want to do is achieve pay-per-view. We did it. And then all you wanted was national TV and we did it. And now without your support, we wouldn't be here. But what do you say we make ECW the number one wrestling federation in the world today? Yeah.